Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and co-host, Patricia Glover-Howard. Hi, Patricia. Good evening, Bernice. It's so good to be back on the radio. It's so good to be back on the radio. Glad to have you back with me. Well, have you recovered from Roots Tech? Barely, Bernice, barely. How about you? Uh, barely. <laughs> well, well, I am happy to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest, and I see several guests in the chat room tonight, and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through Blog Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show will focus on the basics of JetMatch.com with Jason Lee. JetMatch provides DNA and genealogical analysis tools for amateur and professional researchers and genealogists, and most tools are free. Now, you will need to upload DNA and our genealogical JetCom data to make use of these tools. Now, Jason Lee will walk the listeners through the basics of how to use the tools at JetMatch to assist you in analyzing your DNA results. Jason Lee has been a genetic genealogist for a little over five years. He is the administrator for the Ancestry DNA Matching Facebook group, and he blogs at DNA Genealogy. Jason Lee has also been a practicing physician for the last 11 years. So let me give a warm welcome to Dr. Jason Lee to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here. I first listened to your show about five years ago, one of the times that uh, Shannon Christmas was on. and uh, I was just a baby genetic genealogist at that point, but uh, I think I've crossed a milestone being being on your show this time. Okay. Well, so many people have crossed those milestones. It's amazing what has happened with uh, DNA over the last five years. So let's start with 
Jed Match. Exactly what is Jed Match? Well, Jed Match is where I really started to appreciate what you can do with genetic genealogy. When I first tested my DNA, it was at 23andMe, and I was testing there just to find out the rough information about my ethnicity, uh, the admixture results was what really interested me at that point. And I had no idea that um, you could use DNA for genealogy. I had a prior interest in genealogy, and I hadn't worked with it much since I was a child. And then I tested 23andMe to find out what the ethnicity breakdown was, and I kept hearing people talk about GEDmatch in the discussion groups at 23andMe, and um, I didn't really know what I was getting in, myself into going over to Jed Match, but a lot of reputable people were talking about it, so I went over there and, and, and took a look at it, and at first it was fairly confusing. Um, there's a lot of information over there, and it isn't necessarily intuitive for someone who hasn't studied up on it, but as I began to dig in slowly and take it a step at a time, I began to see that there's a lot of potential there to learn about family history through DNA uh, test results. So uh, GEDmatch was really my gateway to genetic genealogy, and it's a very powerful research, a resource for DNA research, especially for those who want to use DNA to find out more about their family history. So when we, you talk about GEDmatch as being a valuable tool, let's I guess pretty much walk people through GEDmatch. And for those of you who are not on GEDmatch, why don't you just go ahead on and log into GEDmatch.com. And let's start off with what what do you need to do just to get into GEDmatch, to get your data there? Right. So um, the first step is to download a raw DNA data file from the company that you tested at. So the big companies are Ancestry DNA, MyHeritage, 23andMe, uh, Family Tree DNA's Family Finder. So you need to go to one of those websites, whichever one you tested at, or, or uh, choose choose one of those. And um, if you if you have results at one of those companies, you can follow their instructions to download a raw DNA data file. So um, the process is different at each one of the companies, uh, but they they have instructions, and so you'll follow those instructions. GEDmatch also provides instructions um, on how to do that. So you can find instructions on how to download the raw DNA data from the company or from GEDmatch. Um, on the main page at GEDmatch, um, you can click on uh, the link near the top of the page in the light blue box, and um, that link says um, gen generic upload fast. So if you click on that link, uh, it'll take you to a page where you can uh, get some instructions on how to download your raw DNA data file from whichever company you tested at. Uh, those instructions may not be up to date because all of the companies are changing these things constantly. So um, you may have to get the instructions directly from the company. If you tested at Ancestry, uh, you can find ins instructions at Ancestry. So you'll download your file, and once you've downloaded that file, you'll follow the instructions at GEDmatch to upload that file to GEDmatch. It's a fairly simple process. They made it as simple as possible. Um, and once you've gone through that process, 
to upload the file, you're taken to another page that has a lot of technical information. But you'll see some little green letters popping up on the screen, um, those actually, actually green numbers and, and letters. And those green numbers indicate that the, the file is being processed. And uh, once that process is complete, you'll get a, a, a number, a kit number, and, and big red letters and numbers. And uh, that is your personal GEDmatch kit number that you will use for the tools that are available in GEDmatch. And uh, once you get that number, you're ready to go. Um, you can start to use some of the tools on day one. Um, some of the other tools won't be available to you until um, a day or two later. But uh, once you have that GEDmatch kit number, you're, you're ready to get started. You can share that GEDmatch kit number with people that you think you're related to, and they can begin doing some comparisons immediately to see how you're related, to get some insights on, on your relationship. Um, and I would say just take baby steps with this process. It can be very intimidating. Uh, the, the, the site isn't as slick as the for-profit uh, DNA testing websites. Uh, the website's run by some uh, volunteers who uh, they are just doing it because they love genetic genealogy. Um, they accept donations, uh, and that gives you access to some more advanced tools. But um, just take it a step at a time because it is, it is intimidating for a lot of people. And, and, and so my biggest advice, I didn't understand it when I first got into it. I had some background knowledge in, in genetics. I was a genetics tutor in co college, and um, I learned a little bit more about genetics and DNA and, and medical school. But even with that background knowledge, I didn't really uh, know everything I needed to know to be able to use GEDmatch on day one. So it's a process, even if you have some prior knowledge of genetics. Um, so that's, that's kind of the starting process. Right. And also, I mean, just for clarification, only your autosomal DNA raw data can be uploaded. We're not talking about the Y DNA, nor are we talking about your MT DNA. We're only talking about the autosomal DNA. Right. So um, the, the data that GEDmatch uses is the data that Ancestry provides, that 23andMe provides, that MyHeritage provides, and that uh, Family Tree DNA, Family Finer uh, provides. Uh, there are some other tests that other companies do. Family Tree does Y-DNA and mitochondrial DNA. Uh, GEDmatch doesn't deal in that kind of uh, DNA test result. Okay, also you mentioned the various companies. Now how would someone determine what company the DNA raw data is coming from, what would they look for with their kit number? Well, on your uh, kit number, um, you have, a, have some numbers, and in front of those numbers, there's a letter. And so if you've downloaded your raw DNA data from Ancestry, your kit number will start with a letter A. So you'll have a letter A and then some numbers after that. If uh, your raw data came from 23andMe, your GEDmatch ID will start with an M followed by some numbers. Um, and so each of the uh, DNA testing companies is distinguished by a different letter at GEDmatch. Uh, family tree DNA is T. My heritage is H. 
Uh, there's some less common ones. WeGene is W, and Genes for Good is G. So there, there are various letters uh, to correspond with the various uh, testing uh, companies. And um, so if you run across uh, your cousins and, and you're looking at these letters, you can know where they tested, and that's, that's a good hint to know where to go to find that cousin. Right, so people need to to pay attention to those number, the kit numbers and the alphabets in front of those kit numbers. Now, one, okay, so now they've uploaded their DNA data, and you can see the kit numbers, so you know what's going on there. Tell us a little bit about privacy. When people are uploading, what information are you seeing? once that data gets up there? Right. So that's a really important question. And with the, the issues of privacy, I would, I would put that in perspective and note that the issues of privacy at GEDmatch are very similar to the issues of privacy that you had to take into consideration when you originally tested at Ancestry or 23andMe or wherever you tested. Um, and, and different companies handle the issue of privacy a little bit differently. But the bottom line is um, when you're uploading to GEDmatch, it's a very open system. It's, it's comparable to the um, open, open sharing option that's available at 23andMe where uh, basically you're allowing uh, your cousins to look at uh, matching segments, they're, they're able to see where the shared DNA is located in the genome. So, for example, I, uh, you and I happen to be DNA cousins, and so we know that we share DNA on chromosome 1. And uh, we know that because we um, were both on 23andMe, and 23andMe allows people to share that information with each other if they're comfortable um, allowing that to happen. And we're both on GEDmatch. So we both uh, we see we see that information at 23andMe and at GEDmatch. So um, in, in the open sharing um, model at 23andMe and in the, the model that's uh, that's implemented at GEDmatch, you you see not only that you share DNA and you see not only how much DNA you share, but you see that it's located on a specific chromosome. And again, in, in our case, we we both share DNA on chromosome one and um, I don't see a real big privacy issue with that. Um, there really isn't a lot of sensitive information in that. Um, some people have pointed out that some really astute, uh, knowledgeable genetic genealogists could make some guesses about uh, medical conditions on the basis of the knowledge of where you share DNA. But there's really just a tiny handful of people who are capable of doing that, and they really don't have any incentive to look at those uh, shared segments to try to find uh, sensitive medical information. Most segments of DNA don't even have sensitive medical information that you could uh, reliably uh, determine. So as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's really not a big issue in terms of, of privacy. I'm not concerned about it. I'm in all of the most open um, systems that are available out there so everybody can look at my DNA 
and, and make any guesses they want to make about my heritage or, or my ancestry or, uh, or any potential medical issues. Uh, but uh, people should be aware of the fact that when uh, they see uh, the shared segments, they're not getting information about individual genes. To, to, make determin to, to make determinations about individual genes, you'd really have to know um, every single uh, letter in the genetic code in that segment, and you'd have to really test for it directly. Uh, you could make some guesses, but you'd really be going out on a limb to know, to know with certainty what the individual letters of the sequence are. So it, it's a real stretch to say that there's really any kind of privacy concern there, but everybody has to make their own decision. I, I would just emphasize again the fact that uh, when you test at Ancestry or 23andMe or Family Tree DNA, you've already decided uh, to put your information out there to some extent, and it's not particularly sensitive information, but you've already made that decision. And the decision to put your data on GEDmatch is really a small step in comparison to that original step where you're putting your genetic data out there uh, for these companies to, to use. So I feel very safe with respect to this issue. Okay, what about individuals that share their kit numbers on Facebook or, for that matter, wherever they want <laughs> to pass it around. Right. Well, again, I, I don't have a lot of worries about that. Um, I do run um, or help to run a um, Facebook group. It's not affiliated with Ancestry DNA, but it's mainly um, targeted towards people who've tested Ancestry DNA. The name of the group is Ancestry DNA Matching. Um, it's in no way affiliated with any of the DNA testing companies. Uh, but a lot of people like to post their GEDmatch kit number in groups like that. I've made a rule that we don't do that in, in that group. And it's not so much a privacy issue. It's just that um, the best way to find cousins with your GEDmatch kit number is to use GEDmatch. So, for example, um, if you want to find good matches, uh, you just go to the one-to-many tool at GEDmatch, and you'll find all of your top matches laid out there for you. And you don't have to go uh, fishing around the Facebook groups for uh, to find connections. So um, for me, I think it's, it's really usually just clutter in the Facebook groups that people don't need to see. Um, I don't really see it as a big privacy issue. I've posted my GEDmatch kit number on uh, my Facebook wall, or, or whatever they call it these days, but um, I, I post it there for people to see. People who are friends with me can see my GEDmatch kit number in a, in a little image that I've made. Uh, so I'm not worried about that information being out there. Um, I, 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 I think it, it does tend to clutter up the discussion groups, but I, I don't think it's a big privacy issue. Okay, so Jason, it looks like we have someone with a question, so let me just check with them. Area code 504, do you have a question or a comment? You're live. Uh, no, no, ma'am, I was just listening. I, I, I didn't have a question at the moment. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, so, Jason, let's go back to um, discussing, you, you mentioned the one-to-many matches. So explain to people what does this mean and what will you see? Okay, so I think the one-to-many tool um, is the best place to start 
when you get on GEDmatch, you're a new GEDmatch user. Um, and the reason I say that is because the one-to-many tool uh, shows you all of your matches um, at a glance, or, or the top 2,000. So it's a, it's a, it's a big uh, list of matches, and your best matches are at the top of the list, and as you go down, you're getting to more and more distant matches. So it's the best way to get started uh, to, to see who your, your top matches are and to get a feel for the kind of information that is available. There is a lot of information in the one to many tool. So when you uh, get your GEDmatch kit number, a day or two later, you're able to get into the one to many tool. And if you go into that, you'll see really a ton of information. And I've talked about this in a Facebook Live presentation uh, to introduce people to the one to many tool and to tell them where to start with it. Um, again, this is an area where people can get discouraged because they can try to process all of the information all at once. And I say um, it's good to start with the one-to-many tool, but you will want to focus on the most familiar information first when you get access to the data in the one-to-many tool. So uh, you can log in, uh, enter in your kit number when you find the one-to-many link, and um, you're, you're given a long list of DNA matches, and uh, the two columns on the right side of the page are the columns that you'll want to focus on when you get started with the one-to-many tool. And those two columns are a list of names and a list of email addresses. So very uh, simple information that everybody can understand. And again, those names at the top of the list are your best matches. So in my case, I've tested close family members uh, my son is at the top of the list, and then my daughter, and then some siblings, and uh, some second cousins. So uh, close matches are at the top of the list with their names and their email addresses. And if you are really intimidated by all of the additional information, you don't have to dig into any of that uh, when you get started. You can just uh, look at the names at the top of the list, and you could begin sending emails to these people saying, I found you on GEDmatch. I'm not sure how we're related, but I want to reach out to you and, and begin working with you on, on finding out how we're related. It can, it can start out that simple. You don't really have to know everything there is to know about recombination and the X chromosome and autosomal details and haplogroups. You don't have to get into all of that on day one. You can simply look at the people at the top of the list and begin reaching out to those people. Yes. Now, I have recommended that people uh, upload their raw data to GEDmatch, and they have followed through, and they've done that. And then the next response I'll get is, I see a lot of numbers, and I have no idea what they mean. That's what some of the responses will be. So you said first start off with the, the, the two columns, the name and the email address, but then we see XDNA, and we see autosomal, and then under there it's explaining the total number of cinemorgans, the largest cinemorgans, the generation, just walk everybody through that. Explain to them exactly what they're looking at, especially for the new people that have never done this and they see all these numbers. And even though you're saying, yep, the people at the top, those are your closest relatives, start with them, but explain to people exactly what they're looking at. Right. So, um, again, I would say take it very slowly. On the first day or the first week, you may just want to stick with those two columns on the right side. But if you're feeling a little more uh, courageous and you want to get into those details, then probably the next step would be to look at the section 
entitled autosomal. Uh, that's the most important uh, section, uh, I think, uh, after names and email addresses. So the next step, look at autosomal, and under that section there's a co column entitled total CM. Total CM, that means total centimorgans. Centimorgans is just a measure of how much DNA you shares. It's a unit of measurement telling you how much DNA you share with someone. So um, under the autosomal section, total CM, you'll see numbers. Uh, so the one at the very top of the list tells you how much DNA you share with your number one match. And so in my case, the number there is 3587. So I share 3587 centimorgans with my top match. That happens to be my son. And that's the amount of DNA that you would expect in a parent-child relationship. And then I move down the list, the next person shares 3587, that's, that's another child. Um, I move a little bit further down and there's one that's 2769, that's one of my siblings, that's, that's an amount of DNA that you would expect with a sibling. So um, you can go to various uh, charts online uh, that tell you how much you expect, how much DNA you expect with each kind of relationship um, and uh, you can become familiar with those numbers, but in the beginning, if you don't want to get bogged down in all of the details, just know that uh, the, the, the largest, uh, the, the closest relationships are going to be parent-child relationships, and that's going to be about 3,500 centimorgans, um, and more distant relationships like first cousins are going to be about 1,000, and, and less DNA means a more distant biological relationship. So okay. then, um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. So um, that, that's, I think that's the, that's the second place. You know, if you've been working with um, the basics and those two columns on the right side of the page, names and email addresses, and you've moved on a little bit further, you go to autosomal total centimorgans, uh, that, that's, that's a good, good place to, to go um, for uh, the second phase of your of your research, um, and then you know you can take it from there. There there's there are various resources online that that go into each of the details that are available uh, in the other columns. Um, I would say you probably want to avoid uh, getting bogged down with haplogroups in xDNA as a new GEDmatch user uh, because those are much more confusing concepts. Uh, if you have prior uh, knowledge of genetics, uh, maybe you took some classes in, in college, uh, you might be a little more comfortable with xDNA. Uh, you might be uh, ready to take on concepts like haplogroups. You don't necessarily have to be a biology major to understand all of this. I'm just saying um, if, if you have prior knowledge, it'll be a little bit easier. But if you don't have prior knowledge, you, I really don't think uh, you should feel pressured to understand all of this all at once. Uh, you could really go far just with the basic information, names, email addresses, and total centimorgans under the autosomal section. Uh, I think that's quite a bit to bite off uh, in the early stages of uh, becoming a genetic genealogist. Okay. And so now you've, you've explained the autosomal, but before you get to the autosomal, you see an A. Details A, there's a column. So what should people do with that A? Okay, so if you click on that A, um, 
you'll be taken to a page. Um, I'll I'll go through this um, as we speak, so I don't um, go through this in the wrong sequence. So um, I'll just click on an A. I'll click on the A at the top of my list, and that's my sign. If I click on that A, it takes me to a page that says jedmatch.com DNA one-to-one comparison entry form. So if you've clicked on that A, that entry form is already filled out. You don't have to do anything at all. You don't have to worry about the empty boxes. You're done. You can just click on the Submit button. And if you click on that Submit button, you're taken to a page that shows you detailed information about all of the DNA segments that you share with your match. Um, and in this case, I clicked on my son, so all of those segments are big, long segments, um, and we share DNA on every single chromosome, as expected. Uh, with more distant matches, it'll be just a few segments that may be small on a, on, on a few chromosomes. Uh, some uh, some uh, of the most distant matches might be one small segment on one chromosome. But those, uh, those details are the gateway to uh, research that can help you to solve unsolved mysteries in your family tree. So um, that's really crucial information. And one of the reasons I strongly advise everyone at Ancestry DNA to use GEDmatch is that uh, Ancestry DNA does not provide these matching segment details. So Ancestry DNA is an important resource for everybody who's interested in using DNA test results to learn about their ancestry, but there is some missing information there, and this this is where you really get into some crucial information that can be exceedingly helpful in helping break down brick walls or, or to test your research against genetic uh, data to see if your research is correct. Maybe your paper trail isn't as correct as you think it is. Uh, GEDmatch can provide the details that um, really test your uh, t test your theories, your paper trail theories, and and see if they're correct. Um, so that that would be a pretty big discussion in and of itself. But uh, by clicking on that letter A, you're taken to those matching segment details that are really powerful in uh, doing uh, genetic genealogy. Right, and that is also a way for you, as you just said, to just see exactly on the chromosomes where you're matching a person. Right. So getting back to, to you and I, we've been uh, looking at our shared DNA on chromosome 1 for years, and uh, we really want to know where that shared DNA came from. And um, in the beginning, uh, we really didn't have any idea, but we do share some surnames, or at least one surname. Um, fairly recently, I've gotten some uh, new matches who share DNA with us on that same part of that same chromosome, and um, I think I have a better idea of how, how we're connected. So um, that information becomes very powerful as you uh, collect data from GEDmatch and compare that with information at 23andMe and the other DNA testing companies. Yes, and, you know, one of the things is very interesting because, as you mentioned, you know, looking at the various chromosomes, it will help you 
start asking the questions, well, exactly, who is that ancestor? Where did this come from? And you find other people matching you on that exact same chromosome. So this is a very powerful tool. I just want to mention to MFD and A, we're, we're not getting your messages, and so you may want to uh, send me a private message so that I can then ask your question. Uh, but this is very important, what you just said to us, about looking at those matching uh, segments. So tell us more about GEDmatch because there's also uh, – when you do your one-to-many matches or you compare your DNA with someone else, it tells you generations, the uh, distance. How significant is this in helping you with your genealogical journey? Well, that information is um, somewhat helpful. Um, I think um, it might begin to introduce you to um, the ranges that uh, you see with uh, the Cinemorgan values, with various relationships. So um, I think we're talking about the, the column entitled GIN under autosomal. Uh, yes. With, right. So, uh, for example, a parent-child relationship, there's only one generation uh, between a parent and a child, so you'll see 1.0 for a parent-child relationship in that column. Uh, we have to, for more for more distant relationships, uh, we have to remember that the the numbers can be in a range, and so a lot of people get confused when they don't see a number like one or two or three. They see a number like 1.5, and they're not quite sure what that means. Uh, so, um, in some cases, you'll you'll see numbers like 3.6, and so it gets to be a little confusing, but um, the, the basic idea there is that um, gen is the estimated number of generations back to a common ancestor. Um, so for an uh, aunt and a niece, um, the number is actually 1.5, and, and that's what I see for some of those relationships in my own family. And, and that actually makes sense for the aunt, the shared ancestor is one generation back, and for the niece, the shared ancestor is two generations back. So your gen number in that case is the number between those two, 1.5. Uh, but um, DNA inheritance is very random, and the amount of DNA that you share with people can vary considerably, except with parent and child. With parent and child, it's fixed at about uh, 3,500 centimorgans. Uh, for other relationships, there is really a lot of variation. Even siblings, um, as closely related as they are, uh, can vary quite a bit. So within my own family, um, the range is about 2,500 centimorgans to 27 or 2,800 centimorgans uh, within the siblings in my own family. Uh, with uh, nieces and nephews, it can be a, the range can be a little bigger. And so uh, you can't rely entirely on these kinds of numbers to pin down the distance of the relationship. It's just an estimate. And so you have to be careful with numbers like that uh, gen number. Uh, you even have to be careful with numbers like total CM. Uh, you just have to remember that 
the number can be in a, in a range, and the range in some cases can be fairly big. So it's, it's a guiding, a bit of information, but it's not definitive. Okay. So we're going to stop right here, Jason, take a quick break, come back, and continue to talk about some of the other tools available to us on JetMatch. So just a quick break. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover-Howard. And you can join us every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where we will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast and can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. You have been listening to Jason Lee discuss the basics of JetMatch. Now, I just want everyone to know that the phone line is open if you would like to call in and ask a question. So, Jason, let's continue the discussion about JetMatch. Take us to any of the other tools that you have found to be significant and helpful to individuals trying to make sense out of their DNA. Well, um, certainly uh, the one-to-many tool is a, good, is a good place to start, and we, we talked about that a little bit. Um, as people get a little deeper into uh, GEDmatch, I think one of the m- most important tools to use after that is the tool called People Who Match One or Both of Two Kids. So that's a long name but um, if you can find a link to that on the main page at GEDmatch. And um, if you've found a match that you're particularly interested in, uh, maybe you share a, a good amount of DNA or you suspect a specific relationship, uh, you're interested in a, in a match uh, for some reason, uh, you can click on the link on the main page that says people who match one or both of two kits. And um, when you get to that page, it asks you to enter in two kit numbers. So you can enter in your own 
kit number and you can enter in the kit number of the match that you're interested in and um, when you uh, go that route uh, you um, click on display results and it will give you a list of people who match both of you um, and, and that's a very powerful um, tool to use if uh, for example you're comparing yourself against a first cousin then um, you'll be um, taken to the shared match list and those people will be people who are related to you through the grandparents that you share with that first cousin so you're beginning to um, cut through uh, this big mountain of matches that you have and narrow things down in that way and with a second cousin a similar concept applies um, if you uh, compare yourself against a second cousin in this tool then you'll get a list of people who are related to you through the shared great-grandparents uh, that you and that match share so um, that begins to take you a little deeper into the process of um, isolating um, a specific line that you might be interested in or that uh, you might be trying to break a, a brick wall so um, I find that tool to be one of the most powerful tools that I use on a regular basis um, if I get a new uh, match um, in the second cousin range um, certainly um, I certainly take a look at that match with the one one two um, with the people who match both kits tool um, just about anybody who shares 50 centimorgans or more um, is a good person to um, compare in that tool and if you don't already know how you're related uh, comparing yourself against that person with this tool can give you some strong hints um, you, if you have any familiarity with any of your other matches uh, you, you can begin to see a common thread and you can see, you can begin to see how that person might be related to you for, so for example um, I might have a third cousin match and it, and that third cousin might be might, might have been adopted and so that third cousin might have no idea how she's related to me but if I compare her against myself in this tool, I can see that we share several matches that are from my uh, paternal grandfather. And so then I have a very good idea of how she's related to me just from looking at the matches that we share. Uh, so I use that tool all of the time, um, almost on a daily basis, to begin to get an idea of how I might be connected with a match if the, if the connection isn't already clear. So there's a question uh, in the chat. Is this information when you talk about you comparing two kits and then you mm. get this information, is this information listed in a particular order? Yes. So um, the closest matches are at the top of the list, automatically populated at the top of the list. Um, and so um, going back to the page where you're entering in the two kit numbers, um, there's there's a first kit number and a second kit number. The matches are listed uh, in order of how strong the match is uh, in relation to that first kit number. So you might put yourself in 
the first position and your match in the second position, uh, when you go to display results, uh, that list of matches will be listed in order of how closely they match you. You can go the other way, and I often do. You can put your cousin in position number one. You can put yourself in position number two, and um, the matches will be ordered so that the matches at the top of the list are the matches that most closely match your cousin, and it goes down mm-hmm. that way. Um, so uh, definitely the, the order of the, the match list um, matters a lot. Okay. Now you have another question in the chat room. How do you know or how can they know whether the match is on the mother or the father's side? Is JetMatch set up to determine that? No, JetMatch, uh, none, none of the systems that are out there are designed to determine that unless you have additional um, information. So um, I can tell whether a match is related to me on my mother's side or my father's side by making comparisons and doing uh, the uh, people who match both kits tool. But um, there, there, there isn't... Um, Unless you've tested your mother or your father and um, you've um, made a direct comparison in that way, uh, if you've only tested yourself and you only have your own results, um, JedMatch doesn't have a way of sorting that out automatically. You have to kind of sift through it um, on your own um, by hand. Um, so you, if, you, if you have a first cousin, for example, on your father's side, people who match both of you, are uh, likely to be uh, related to you through your paternal grandparents, but uh, there's no automatic way for JedMatch to know which side of the family a match is coming from um, unless you have additional data or unless you analyze it uh, by looking at their family tree. Okay, so two kids that match each other, you get this information. Okay, so now what do you do with this information? You're seeing it. You're trying to figure out what's going on. You see the same people showing up on the same chromosome in the same segment. What's the next step for people? Well, it depends on your goals. Um, For me, um, I try to learn as much as I can about each match in as many ways as I can. Uh, so one of the ways that you're learning about your matches is to see um, which matches you have in common, and another way is to look at um, who else shares the DNA that the two of you share on the same chromosome. Um, that's a process called triangulation, and that's a little um, a little more advanced process. Um, Another way is to look at how much DNA you share with the match. We kind of alluded to that. Um, So the more more DNA you share, the the closer the biological relationship is likely to be. Um, And you can look at how much DNA uh, your matches share with the shared matches. So, for example, um, it may not be obvious immediately when I look at a match um, how that match is related to our other shared cousins. But if I look at the numbers in the spreadsheet that um, these tools generate, um, you, 
I can see that maybe they share um, 3,500 centimorgans with one of our shared matches. Well, that means that there's a parent-child relationship. Or they might share 1,000 centimorgans with one of our shared matches, and that indicates that uh, we're likely dealing with a, fir a first cousin. And um, if I uh, compare the family trees uh, of those two matches with each other and see how they're related to each other, then that can narrow down my search for the common thread that all three of us share. So um, that's a concept that might be a little bit difficult to understand without seeing some things um, on, a, on a computer screen. But um, really, there's so many different ways to look at the DNA that you share with your shared matches and to look at uh, the the matches that you have in common, that um, if you go through all of the tools with your favorite matches, you can learn a surprising, really a surprising amount. Uh, but uh, again, there's just so many tools on GEDmatch. I would, I would take it kind of a step at a time and, and um, realize that there's probably always something new on the horizon that you haven't considered before. There are really advanced techniques like visual phasing that um, you can use to sort through your matches. So, um, again, you can kind of start with the things that seem familiar, like um, the amount of DNA that you share or uh, how high the match is on your shared matches list and, and get an intuitive feel for, um, for the basic tools and then move on to other tools. Okay, so we have a basic question. And the question okay. is, what is the difference uh, of the total CM and the largest CM? Okay, um, that's really um, a good question, and um, it's really not so basic. It's, it's a fairly sophisticated question. Um, so the total CM is, the, as, it, as the name implies, it's the total amount of DNA that you share with your match. And so... Um, you look at that number, and again, if it's a if it's a thousand, you may be dealing with a first cousin. If it's thirty five hundred, that's parent child. If it's a um, hundred, it might be third cousins. So you get an idea of of um, the strength of the biological connection from that number. The um, largest CM tells you the uh, genetic length of the largest segment that you share. So we have to keep in mind that we share DNA with our matches, and that DNA may be on one big segment or one small segment or several small segments or several large segments. It's distributed across the, the genome um, in some cases, and in some cases it's just on one chromosome. Um, that largest uh, CM tells you the size of the largest segment that you share with your match. And um, that can be helpful, particularly if you're from a group where there was a lot of intermarriage and um, maybe it's a little bit more difficult to judge the distance of the relationship just on the basis of the amount of DNA shared. Because of the intermarriage, um, you might share more than expected with a lot of your cousins. And um, so for some of us, it can be a little more difficult to judge the distance of a relationship just on 
the total centimorgans. So that's where the uh, largest CM comes in. Um, the largest CM tells you, uh, gives you another hint as to the distance of the relationship. So um, if the largest CM is a large number, that suggests that you really do have a fairly close relationship. If the largest CM is not a big number, then that suggests that uh, there may not be uh, a close relationship, although the total CM might have suggested that there was a close relationship. So a large number would be a number like 50. A 50 is a, is a, is a large number for um, largest CM. Um, 100 is definitely a very, very big number and, and definitely suggests that um, there's a fairly close relationship. Um, anything over about 20 or 25 is probably uh, something you can work with and probably something worth investigating. Um, for people who are from uh, populations where there was a lot of inter intermarriage, once you get below 20 centimorgans or 15 centimorgans, you may be getting into, a, into territory where you um, happen to share a good amount of DNA, but there isn't really any meaningful relationship that you can find in your family tree because you may be six cousins uh, ten different ways, and so you may share um, a, a, a significant amount of DNA, but it may not actually uh, be indicative of, a, of a, a fairly close relationship. So in my case, I really like to see a largest CM um, value of uh, 15 or larger, um, and that's because um, I'm from a population that is a little bit endogamous. It's not as endogamous as some groups. Um, like um, French Canadians or uh, certain Jewish groups, um, there there are some groups where uh, almost everybody shares at least 100 centimorgans, even if they're not really related within the past five or six generations. Um, I, my my population isn't quite that endogamous, but um, it does help me to look at that number. And if the number is above about 15. Um, I can be fairly certain that I'm dealing with a connection that's worth pursuing genealogically. So that, that's how I look at that. And um, it's not necessarily as important for the very closest relationships. Um, if you share a thousand centimorgans with someone, um, very, there's a very good chance that you're somewhere in the first cousin range, regardless of what the uh, largest, largest CM is. But... Um, with some of the more distant relationships, uh, that number is, is certainly meaningful, particularly um, if if you're from a group uh, that's endogamous. Right. So we, we're still getting some questions here. So one, one of the questions is that the list, this individual's list, doesn't go higher than Generation 5.9. The question is, does that mean 5.9 generations apart or fifth cousin, almost sixth cousin? Well, it means that you need to go back about five or six generations to find your common ancestor, probably. And, and there's, you know, there's no guarantee with these numbers. It's not set in stone, but uh, it's the estimated number of generations back to a common ancestor. Um, and it could be a generation or two closer or a generation or two more distant than what that number suggests. 
So it's certainly not set in stone. I think you really have to be careful not to uh, get too uh, hung up on that number and and um, get worried when things don't line up with well with that number because um, it's just an estimate, and the more distant the relationship, the less reliable the estimate. So um, I rarely even look at that number anymore. Um, I'm familiar enough with the numbers that I don't really feel that I need to look at that number. Uh, just some basic rules of thumb, 3,500 is parent-child, uh, 1,000 centimorgans is, uh, is first cousin. Uh, you get down to about 250, maybe that second cousin. Uh, 100 might be a third cousin, um, and, and that's the total centimorgans shared. I look more at that number than I look at the gen number. Um, I, I just feel that it's uh, easier to deal with, and um, I, I really don't spend a lot of time looking at that gen number because it is a very rough estimate. Okay, Jason. So we're we're getting back to that that front page where you have the A, the autosomal. Right. But now the question is. To, what what about that X DNA? What can you tell them? What does that mean? Okay. Well, X DNA is is tricky. It's really tricky if you don't have prior familiarity with genetics. So it's it's a place that I would say you don't want to invest a lot of time in until you've taken a good bit of time to understand how X DNA works. Uh, because it's easy to jump to an incorrect conclusion um, if you aren't really familiar with how xDNA works. Um, so it's really a source of a lot of confusion. I would say if you're really new to genetic genealogy, it's one of the last things that you want to try to to tackle. But um, there's some basic rules about xDNA um, that can help you get started with that concept. Um, so. Men have only one X chromosome, and they get that X chromosome from their mother. Um, men can only give their X chromosome to their daughters. They don't give X chromosomes to their sons. Women have two X chromosomes, one from each parent. So they get, a parent, they get an X chromosome from dad, and they get an X chromosome from mom. Women give X DNA to all of their children both daughters and sons. So if you understand those four basic rules, you can navigate your way through all of the issues that apply to xDNA. Uh, but you have to be very careful not to overgeneralize those rules or to, um, to um, make assumptions that those rules don't really tell you. So you really have to be careful uh, when you work with xDNA to understand what xDNA, how xDNA really works. Um, there are a number of charts online that um, illustrate the inheritance pattern for xDNA. Um, you can use Google to hunt those down. Um, I've um, made one of those charts for um, some of my presentations that you can pull up on YouTube. Um, but um, it, it takes some time to get it takes some time to get familiar with that concept. Um, but the, the basic um, thing that you want to keep in mind about um, xDNA inheritance is that it's never passed from father to son. If you can remember that, it's never passed from father to son, um, you, you're off to a good start. 
But um, so I've been asked to ask you to say everything you to say it again. Men okay. only get X so, from their mother. <laughs> so men only have one X chromosome, and they got that X chromosome from their mother. Men give their X chromosome only to their daughters. Men never give X DNA to their sons. Women have two X chromosomes, one from each parent. So women get an X chromosome from mom, and they get an X chromosome from dad. And women give X DNA to all of their children, daughters and sons. Okay. So listeners, do you get it now? (laughs) Okay. So the next question we have, and it's about the admixture. And Uh the question, Jason, is what admixture tool, a utility, do you recommend for African Americans? I don't really have a lot of confidence in any of the admixture tools. Um, I'm not really a big fan of of those tools, Um, so I don't use them a lot for anybody. Um, I think that they're roughly equal, so there isn't one that stands out above all the others. Among the DNA testing companies, I think that 23andMe has the best. Um, I really like what they have, but again, it's just an estimate. So if you're really serious about um, the admixture ethnicity information, my recommendation would be to uh, pursue the information that's available at 23andMe um, I think it's a good bit better than everything else that's out there, but still it's just an estimate. Um, I think uh, Ancestry is kind of a distant second in that category. Um, family Tree DNA is um, okay, but um, I'm, I'm not really impressed with it. And I'd say that the information that MyHeritage provides is probably the least reliable I'm really liking my heritage these days overall, but um, their ethnicity estimate doesn't appear to be very reliable. So, um, again, I I really don't uh, – I'm not really enthusiastic about any of the admixture tools. Um, I, I think you just have to tinker around with the various options and, and see what seems to be most consistent with what you know about your, your ancestry. But um, – I haven't seen anything that really stands head and shoulders above the rest, um, except that um, 23andMe, um, I like the fact that you get admixture ethnicity information for each chromosome, and that can be useful. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice way to visualize um, what's going on with your DNA. But um, admixture is, is the weakest science we have in this arena. In genetic genealogy, it's it's fairly weak and uh, not terribly reliable. So I'm not very enthusiastic about uh, admixture, even though that's what got me into genetic genealogy in the first place. So uh, it's a little bit of irony there, but um, I was lured into the world of genetic genealogy, as many of us are, uh, on the question of whether there was any um, Native American DNA in my genome and, and if there might be anything else interesting. But... Um, it's it's the science that is not as precise as, as we'd like it to be at this point. 
So all of the tools that we've been talking about so far are free. But there's also the Tier 1 utilities. So tell people about the Tier 1 utilities and how those specific utilities may be of help. Right. So um, the Tier 1 utilities, um, I I like some of those. They do... uh, they do come with a ten dollar donation. So if you make a ten dollar donation to GedMatch, you do have one month of access to the Tier One utilities. I'd say um, the most important Tier One utility um, is the matching segment search. And the reason I say that is that the information that you get from the matching segment search can serve as a really good springboard for serious genetic genealogy research. So if, you are, if you're really committed to the idea of using your DNA test results to learn as much about your family history as possible, I would say the matching segment search is an excellent way uh, to get started in that area. And so um, when you, uh, if you sign up for the Tier 1 Utilities and you want to get access to the matching segment search, um, after you've made your $10 donation, you can click on that link and you can put in your kit number and um, you don't necessarily have to make any adjustments to um, the settings that they have automatically uh, put into the system there. Um, I, I uh, make some little adjustments there, but uh, you can leave it as is and um, you can um, click on the option that says no when it says show graphic bar for chromosome. And the reason I recommend clicking no on that is you'll get results back, I think, a little bit quicker. And you'll get the results back in a form that you can use uh, for um, a spreadsheet. You can copy all of that data that comes out when you do the matching segment search, and you can paste that data into a spreadsheet. And so um, you have to have a little bit of familiarity with spreadsheets uh, to use this in the way that I like to use it. Um, but if you um, get that data and put it in a spreadsheet and uh, get some basic familiarity with the process of filtering and sorting um, information in spreadsheets, um, you can use that to begin looking for shared segments looking for segments that two or three or four uh, families share to um, look for shared ancestry. Um, And that kind of database can really serve as as a really great springboard to um, launch um, a a real um, endeavor into genetic genealogy. So um, that's really how I got started with genetic genealogy. Um, I did what was equivalent to the segment search at the time. It was under a different name when I got started. But uh, I copied all of the data from a big uh, DNA segment search, and I put that into a spreadsheet, and I looked at that, and I began to see that there were some patterns there, that people who shared uh, DNA on a specific part of a specific chromosome would all have the same ancestry, and I began to really appreciate what this data was telling me by looking at it in a spreadsheet. So 
as 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 far as um, a serious um, um, dive into genetic genealogy is, is concerned, I would say that's probably the most important tool that's available in the tier one utilities, the matching segment search. Um, there, there are some other tools as well. Uh, the one-to-many tool is very similar to the basic one-to-many tool. Um, so there's, there's a, a, a more updated version of the one-to-many tool that's av- available in t- tier one. Um, that has a little more uh, flexibility than the basic one-to-many tool. Um, but it's not so far advanced that I would necessarily uh, make a donation just for that tool. Um, there's a Lazarus tool. Um, it can help you to reconstruct the genome for uh, a person who isn't living um, or someone who whose DNA you just don't have access to. Um, you really have to have a good number of family members to use that tool and get good results. Um, so if you're in a family and maybe you have three or four siblings and you, ha- you have access to mom's DNA results, um, you could reconstruct dad's uh, genome to, to some extent uh, using the kit numbers for the siblings and the mother. Um, you could you could reconstruct the genome for the father, even if he's not living, using the Lazarus tool. Um, the results certainly aren't as good as having the results of the individual that, that you're interested in, but um, that, that's something you can tinker with in the Tier 1 utilities. And there are a couple of triangulation tools that, that, that a lot of people like um, in the Tier 1 utilities. Uh, those, those are nice tools. I don't use them very often, but they're, they're really good tools if um, you're interested in um, accessing uh, triangulation with a fairly automated approach. And then there's uh, a tool called My Evil Twin. Um, that is a tool that's useful for one of the most advanced processes that you can uh, do in genetic genealogy, and that's visual phasing. Um, I've used that tool for visual phasing. And visual phasing is a process where you can um, use uh, DNA test results from three or more siblings to map out DNA from your from your grandparents' generation. So that's a really fun um, process to um, implement, but it is fairly advanced. Um, My Evil Twin can help you with that. Um, but again, that's that's a fairly um, advanced ge- genetic genealogy tool and um, not everybody's going to be interested in that. But uh, Tier 1 uh, utilities are definitely worth checking out. Um, and if, if you have an interest in exploring the Tier 1 utilities, I would say a matching segment search is probably a good good place to start. Right. It, it, it does sound like it's a, a very good place to start. Now, for those people that are just now getting results from 23andMe, I noticed that on August the 10th, 23andMe is using a new chip. And so even if they tried to upload their DNA data to JetMatch, the regular JetMatch, it's, it won't work. So where are they to upload their DNA data and what does it look like? 
Well, the option um, in that case is Jed Match Genesis, and um, Jed Match Genesis is a spinoff of Jed Match that uh, Jed Match has created. The people Jed Match have created Jed Match Genesis to contend with these curveballs that come with these changes in the, the DNA chips that are used for our DNA test results. So, um, unfortunately, um, these t- chips are changing so fast, um, they're, they're, it's becoming a, a challenge, and uh, some of these chips don't line up as well as we'd like them to, and so uh, the people at GEDmatch have to work really hard to come up with ways to make these uh, test results compatible. Um, so, uh, GEDmatch Genesis was um, the beginning of the solution to this new problem that came with um, the change that uh, 23andMe made in the summer. And um, if you use GEDmatch Genesis, uh, you're going to uh, get access to an experience that's fairly similar to what is available at the main GEDmatch website, but it's really at this point in its own little world. Um, And so you're not in the big database um, that you would be in at the main GEDmatch website. And at some point, um, the people at GEDmatch are going to merge these two. They're going to merge GEDmatch Genesis with the old GEDmatch, and we're all going to be one big happy family. But at this point, um, it's two separate worlds, um, and GEDmatch Genesis is really in a development stage, so it's not, it doesn't have all of the tools that are available at the main GEDmatch website. So I would say unless you're one of those people who've tested it, uh, 23andMe recently, you'll want to use the old GEDmatch website because it's a much bigger database and it has more tools and it's um, a, a more developed uh, website. Right. Now there's a, a, a comment, and it's just about communicating with people that sometimes people are managing multiple kits. However, they may get a message from someone that simply says, well, I'm matching your kit. And the comment is that you need to really tell them your kit number because if they're managing multiple kits and you only send the email saying I'm matching your kit, they won't know what kit you're matching. So this is just a comment that has come out of the uh, the chat room. Well, Jason, right. Well, I have getting... a couple. Of... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a couple of comments about that. Um, first of all, I I agree with that. Um, we certainly want to be careful when we communicate with our matches. Uh, we want to give them enough information to know where we're coming from and what's going on. So it's good to include a GEDmatch kit number when you're uh, communicating with your matches at GEDmatch. Um, we, we really want to be clear about what's going on and, and where we're coming from. Um, I would say, though, um, there is a way to deal with that. If you get a message from someone and they really haven't been clear about um, what what they're they're talking about, um, you can use the user look lookup tool at GEDmatch to figure out who they are. So they send you an email, and uh, you can use that email address you can put that email address into the user lookup at GEDmatch and find out who that person is and what their GEDmatch number is. So um, I think a lot of people, that, that user lookup t- 
link is kind of tucked away in, in the middle of a bunch of other links, so it's easy to overlook that. But it's in this section entitled Learn More. There's a gray box um, on the main page at GEDmatch uh, that says Learn More, and it has several links. And one of those links is called User Lookup. If you click on that, you can you can really cut through some of the confusion by um, putting in an email address and finding out who, who the person is. Good suggestion. Definitely a good one. Any other <laughs> tips you want to share with people before we close out tonight? Well, um, I would say that there, there's definitely a steep learning curve. People say that a lot, and it's really true. There's a steep learning curve at GEDmatch, but um, there are a lot of good groups on Facebook where there are people who are eager to answer your questions. So there are several uh, GEDmatch groups. Uh, some of them are very large, and so you'll get a quick answer. Um, so if you're on Facebook, I would recommend um, searching for those GEDmatch groups and getting involved with those groups. and um, you'll you'll find people who will answer your questions at the basic level or the advanced level. Um, there, there's people everywhere who are so enthusiastic about this. Uh, they're they're really eager to help people out. Um, so don't get discouraged. Certainly seek out help um, in the various Facebook groups or in, in other groups online. Look at, look for blogs. There are a lot of great blogs. There are people who are blogging on a regular basis about GEDmatch. Um, so just search around. There's a lot of great information out there. You have to kind of track it down. Um, or you can seek it out on Facebook. Um, I have a, a fairly big Facebook group. It's called Ancestry DNA Matching. And again, it's not f affiliated with Ancestry DNA, but we do talk a lot about GEDmatch because I consider GEDmatch to really be an essential tool for people who are on Ancestry DNA uh, because Ancestry DNA doesn't provide the matching segment details and some of the advanced tools that GEDmatch provides. Um, we really talk a lot about GEDmatch in, in my Facebook group, so I would certainly recommend people to check that out too. There, there are a lot of helpful people in that group who like to, to um, assist people who are, who are using GEDmatch. So um, it's just, just take, it, take it a step at a time. Uh, don't, don't get discouraged on day one because I, I don't think anybody comes to GEDmatch understanding everything that's there on the first day. Just, uh, just give yourself permission to take it slowly and ask questions. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who are, who are ready to help. Well, that is excellent advice. Now, I have two more questions, and I'm quite ready for you to end yet. So okay, good. we're going back to the Tier 1 tool. The question is, right. what is the difference in the free uh, one-to-many match and the Tier 1 tool? It's not a big difference. Um, the Tier 1 one-to-many tool is a little more flexible, um, so you, you have a few more options, but it doesn't provide you information that you can't get in the old uh, basic GEDmatch one-to-many tool. So it's not giving you information that you don't have in the other one. It's just giving you information in a form that's a little easier to manipulate. So, for example, um, you can go to the Tier 1 version of the one-to-many tool, and you can click on a column that says age, and that will automatically sort your matches by how recently they joined GEDmatch. So if you're regularly on GEDmatch, you might want to see who has 
populated your uh, match list since last week when you were when you were on GEDmatch the last time. And so uh, the Tier 1 version of one to many makes it easy for you to see who has joined in the past seven days. You can just click on the column where it says age and days, and then the um, list is sorted not by how much DNA you share with your matches, but by how recently the person showed up on your GEDmatch list. So um, there are little conveniences like that that are available in the one-to-many that you get in Tier 1 that um, are, are really nice, but um, it's, not, it's not crucial. Um, it doesn't make or break your, your research project. Um, it's just a little something to encourage people to make a donation. Um, the people who run GEDmatch are, are doing it for free, essentially. Um, they're volunteers who are just passionate about genetic genealogy, and um, they added these Tier 1 tools um, to um, really just uh, show appreciation for people who've, who've made a small donation. And, and the um, one-to-many tool that um, is available in the uh, Tier 1 section of GEDmatch um, is really a, a nice little tool. Yes, and it's also nice for people to donate even if they don't plan to use the tool, but maybe mm-hmm. one time. Uh, that's a way of showing our appreciation to the volunteers that have worked so hard to make this this whole tool available to us. Uh, so I even have people saying I donated. So that's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, so right. I have one more question here, and it's concerning. No, still two questions. Does Living DNA have a code for JetMatch? Um, I, as I understand it, um, you can upload uh, Living DNA uh, test results or raw data to JetMatch. I haven't done that myself because I'm not on Living DNA yet. Um, but um, I believe um, I believe you can do it. I just don't know for sure, and I don't know if um, there's a specific code. So I, I can't give an honest answer to that question. Right. And then the last question is about JETCOM. We've noticed that you can upload your JETCOM and also Wiki. So just say just a little bit about that, and then we'll close out for tonight. Right. So um, – it's really nice to help your matches out by uploading a tree or providing a link to a tree on GEDmatch. And that really completes the, um, completes the information. So um, if you just upload your raw DNA data, um, that, that's, that's a good start, and, and, and that may be um, enough to – uh, get where you need to be with with your goals, but um, if you upload a GEDCOM file, a family tree file, to GEDmatch, that will show up with your test results for your matches. It will show up with your match results, and they can uh, click on a link to your tree at GEDmatch, and they can begin to 
see how you might be related. So we certainly all want to do that as a service to our matches and to facilitate um, the whole process of genetic genealogy. So that's one option. Um, if you're on um, Ancestry, you can go on Ancestry and um, download a GEDCOM file, um, and then you can take that file and upload it to GEDmatch, and uh, GEDmatch will turn that into um, a family tree that people can see on the GEDmatch website. So certainly something that you should do if you can do it. I've done that. Um, another option is to um, provide a link to your wiki tree if you have one. If you have a wiki tree at, um, at uh, wikitree.com, you can provide a link through GEDmatch to allow people to see your family tree at Wikitree. So um, those are two options that make it easy for your matches at GEDmatch to um, see what's in your family tree. Um, I've done both of those to make it as easy as possible for everybody. So um, th those are certainly um, those are certainly things that, that make it easier to do research. Okay, and uh, we do have information uh, from Living DNA. Uh, they said while they um, while we have co collaborated with JetMatch so that they can accept our Living DNA raw data, we have not been directly involved in their analysis development. Currently, JetMatch accepts our living DNA format in their Genesis project only. So that'll ans that answers the question about living DNA right now. So, Jason, right, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us tonight. And, and for everyone else, just remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, DNA, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the AfroGenius and several of the DNA Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji, and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio, and also check out my services at BB's Genealogy Research and Educational Services LLC. And my website is www.geniebroots.com. Well, I look forward to you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover-Howard. Good night, everyone. Good night, and thank you, Jason Lee. <laughs>